Welcome to the Effortless English Show with the world's number one English teacher, AJ Hogue, where AJ's more than 40 million students worldwide finally learn English once and for all without the boring textbooks, classrooms, and grammar drills. Here's AJ with a quick piece to help you learn to speak fluent English effortlessly. Hi, I'm AJ Hogue, the author of Effortless English. Learn to speak English like a native. You must join my VIP program to speak English fluently, speak English confidently, speak English effortlessly. Join my VIP program. Train English with me at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. That's EffortlessEnglishClub.com. Lay back and groove on a rainy day. Lay back and groove on a rainy day. That's from a Jimi Hendrix song. (laughs) It means lay back, sit back, and relax on a rainy day. Rainy day, rain away. Good song. Today is a rainy day in Osaka, Japan. Right now, I'm going to cut kind of a light rain it's cool the temperature is cool nice and cool let's see what's our fahrenheit temperature mhm what do we got for fahrenheit here let's see hmm not sure 73 fahrenheit 73 now do you remember your fahrenheit you remember 90s fahrenheit Temperatures in the 90s, very hot. 80s, very warm. 70s, cool, cool. And then 60s, starting to get a little chilly. So 73, nice and cool. I am wearing shorts and a short sleeve shirt. This is still kind of summer weather, but it's... It, it feels just a little bit chilly to me wearing shorts right now. I'm okay, but I could, I could probably put on a very light jacket and still be comfortable. Right? So it's that nice, cool, it's perfect weather, really. It's fantastic. Very nice, but it's rainy. Rainy today. Now, for some reason, I don't know why, we woke up today, it was cloudy, had this kind of rainy day, nice and cool, and it just uh, triggered. It means it caused a, a memory, an old traveling memory for me. And for some reason today, I had this very strong memory of a day traveling in India. I was on my first trip, my very first trip to India, my very first trip outside of the United States. I was up in a town called Manali, which is in the foothills of the Himalayas. So it's in the Himalayan mountains, but not the high Himalayan mountains, right? The high Himalayas, there are no trees, right? Very, very tall, of course, the highest mountains in the world. What we might, well, (laughs) what they call the foothills. Foothills, that's a good, let me teach you this word. 
foothills. The foothills. When we talk about foothills, it means the beginning hills. Right? It means the hills that are next to mountains. Right? Because if you're going, let's say you're going from a flat area, kind of flat, and then you're 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 going to the mountains. Well, of course, the mountains usually don't just start suddenly, right? First, you'll hit kind of hills, then bigger hills, then small mountains, and then the big mountains. So the foothills, that's the, that's the big hills or the small mountains before you reach the main mountains. It's kind of the border area of the mountains. So we might call Manali, this area in India, the foothills of the Himalayas. They're trees, big green tall trees, evergreen trees in this area. But what you will discover when you travel more is that uh, this, uh, this word hills, <laughs> hills and mountains, is, is a relative, these are relative words. It means, um, uh, it depends where you live. Uh, what is the definition of hills or mountains? Because like the Nepalis and the people who live in the Himalayas, they call these things hills, right? The hills, the foothills. So, uh, but for me, these are mountains. These are tall mountains, right? Uh, another example would be in the United States, in the East Coast, we have the Appalachian Mountains. The Appalachian Mountains, but they're really, they're not that tall. Uh, some areas, maybe the Appalachian tr Mountains, when you get up to the north main and kind of up there, they can be somewhat tall. But a lot of the Appalachian Mountains in the United States are, well, Nepalese, the people from Nepal would call them hills, <laughs> right? So it kind of depends. For people living in the Himalayas, uh, their definition of hills are quite large. Anyway, I was in Manali, really in the mountains, but in the... Uh, lower mountains, so it's still lots of trees. And it was a rainy day. Manali's kind of a smaller town. And I decided to go for a long walk, so I I had a rain jacket. And I just uh, went walking in the rain, went walking along this dirt road in the mountains, walking through the mountains outside of Manali. Pretty long walk, actually. I went walking and walking out farther and farther away. And then I came to this little small building. It was like a, a little wooden building. And it was a tea house. A little small tea house. Way up in the Himalayas and way outside the town. Nothing else around. Just up on the side of a big hill with a gorgeous, a beautiful view of the mountains and the valley below. And of course, because it was raining, there were, the clouds were coming through. I was kind of hungry and getting a little cold and a little bit wet. So I went into the tea shop, the tea house. Just, 
I went inside, a small little place, wooden building, wooden benches, everything wood. Shook off all my wet clothes and sat down and it was a small place, just a few people. There were a couple people running it, you know. I think if I remember correctly, one guy was a Tibetan and uh, there was another guy who was an Indian that were running the place, working there. Maybe the owners, I'm not sure. And then there was, I think, one other foreigner, like a tourist like me. And I ordered a, a, a chai tea. That's the kind of Indian-style tea. Right? They serve it in little glass. Well, they serve it in different things, but... In this case, I got it in a little glass. It almost looks like uh, the glasses you get for whiskey, right? A little small glass. And the Indian style of tea is usually a milk tea. So it's a milk tea and it has some kind of spices in it. It's really good, actually. I, I don't drink tea very often, but I do... And just, just regular black tea I don't like so much. I like green tea, which is kind of the Japanese style... And especially the matcha, which is a very dark green, very strong. I like it. And I like the Indian tea, which uh, which usually has milk, can often have a lot of sugar, quite sweet, and has some spices in it. It's very interesting, very different, very unique. Uh, the Indians are crazy about tea also, and they, they have their own version of tea like this, and it's very nice. So... I don't know why it's such a strong memory. It's such a simple memory when I think about it, right? It's not... Of course, during that trip, I went to some famous places. I saw the Taj Mahal and all of that. But oftentimes, when I think of these trips I had in the past, or when I have these strong memories, often the strongest memories, the, the happiest memories of these trips are very simple experiences. So, for example, this this day of just sitting at the tea shop, I can still imagine and in my mind the the little tea shop. I can imagine I was sitting down at the little counter with the other tourists next to me and the two guys working, you know, on the other side of the counter. I can ordering and getting my little chai tea. I remember drinking it and it, you know, just feeling so good and warm because uh, it was. Uh, cold outside I was kind of wet and I remember drinking my tea and looking out the window with the 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 rain clouds and the rain outside and the mountains such a clear vivid uh, image picture in my mind I can even almost smell the spices of the chai tea now And then we played a, a game. They taught me a game. Uh, I'm trying to remember the game. It was kind of like jacks, where you would throw down these um, little. Uh, how do you explain this? <laughs> uh, you throw down these little things, and you have to uh, grab them with your hand before, like, uh, I think it was a ball or something bounced. I can't remember the specific. That memory's not as as clear how the game worked but I remember we were they taught me this little game and we were playing a game together and just chatting and joking and I spent several hours there waiting for the rain to lessen and 
I've basically spent about half a day there. Not doing much of anything, just sitting, playing this little game, sipping tea, looking out the window on a rainy day. A rainy day kind of like today here in Osaka. A really great memory. What makes these memories so great, I wonder? Um, I, one, for one thing, it was maybe my just awareness, right? I was very present and aware on that day. This is one of the things I love about, uh, for example, hiking and just being outdoors in general. I think when we're indoors too much, living in cities or even being inside of cars and buses and subways and trains, it cuts off, cuts off our awareness of the world, right? It's very easy to get lost in your mind, to get lost in your thoughts when you're sitting in a car, when you're sitting indoors, when you're on a computer for sure, right? And you lose your awareness of all that is happening in this moment right now. On the other hand, when you're out in nature, especially when you're hiking or camping, and especially, I've noticed, especially when the weather is bad. For example, when it's raining and cold. It's, in some ways, it's, it's more powerful, more magic, because it, it's much harder to ignore. It's much harder to be lost in your mind, lost in your thoughts, distracted. Right? When you're outdoors and it's a little cold and it's raining, uh, the weather, the environment, it pulls your attention. It attracts your attention. You become aware you get outside of yourself. We, we kind of say this in English. Get outside of yourself. Right? It means you, your awareness goes out. You're aware of the clouds. You're aware of the sky. You're aware of the feeling of rain. You're aware of the... Maybe the water getting into your jacket and you're getting a little wet. You're aware of the cold. It brings you into the present moment. I think that's why that memory is very strong for me. Just because I was on that day at that time very strongly in the present moment, aware of the present moment, not lost and distracted by thoughts. And these kind of days, I like them, these kind of days, because they do. They encourage this kind of same relaxed mindfulness, we could call it. Relaxed awareness. I'm standing outdoors right now. The rain has stopped, but it's still a little cool. And uh, again, I feel a greater awareness of the present moment, which is fantastic. These little moments are fantastic. And they're so simple. They're so simple. These happy moments of awareness. So, so simple. We don't need lots and lots of money. We don't need huge amounts of attention.
attention or pleasure or fame to be happy. We don't. A lot of what we need is just to be aware of this moment and to appreciate it more. You know, another strong, strong memory for me, very happy memory, one of my best memories, in fact, is another rainy day, a very, very, very powerful rainy day, in fact. Uh, I was camping, hiking in the mountains. I think I've mentioned this one before, but I'll mention it again. I was camping in the mountains with my dog. We camped and a big, strong rainstorm came and it was cold. And so we, my dog and I, (laughs) we had spent the night in a tarp during this strong wind and rain and the wind and rain's coming down. But we stayed dry on the tarp. I got the tarp really low and we kept us warm, kept us dry. We had a nice night under the tarp, my dog and I. Uh, Then in the morning, had to pack up, of course, got all packed up under the tarp and then had to put on all my rain gear under the tarp. And then finally, of course, out into the rain and then packed the tarp up. And then we had to walk back. We had to walk back several miles through the mountains uh, to get to the car. But these mountains, uh, maybe more like hills, had no trees, really, no trees. If you imagine the Scottish Highlands, it was kind of like that. And so there was no shelter at all. This strong rain was coming down. The wind was coming super strongly, almost sideways. So again, cold, it was cold, a very cold day. Cold, strong wind, strong rain. And again, it's an incredible memory I have. I have this memory of my dog just running around and playing in the rain. Just, uh, you know, she seemed like not even affected by the rain at all. Just, my dog always loved just running around outdoors, especially in the mountains. She, I just have this p- picture of running around looking happy. And me just, you know, marching through the rain, walking through the rain on the mountains and the strong wind. And again, it's that incredible awareness of the present moment. No distraction, right? Right in that moment completely. And again, that makes and it made such a powerful memory, such a great memory. Again, simple, simple. Just hiking in the mountains. So I love these kind of days, actually, especially when I can be outdoors a little bit, even if I'm just uh, sitting on a porch. You know, the walls, the glass, all this separates us from nature, from the world, and it makes us distracted. And I think we need to get outside a lot more and reconnect. Even, in fact, I'd say, especially when the weather's bad. Last night, had a VIP teleseminar. Talked to VIP members last night. Really great. Had a wonderful time talking to you, VIP members. Thank you 
all VIP members who joined last night, joined the teleseminar. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. I had a great time and you did a great job. All of you who talked, I just want to say congratulations and thank you. You did a great job. You sounded great. Your English sounds really good. So congratulations on that. I know some of you felt nervous. You said you were nervous to talk the first time to me, but you you were just fine. Even if you felt nervous, you did fine. You spoke well. I was very impressed, very impressed by your English, your speaking, your pronunciation. Also, I was impressed by you, you know, being being strong, not being too nervous and doing it. Because I know it's hard the first time. You know everybody's listening, but you talked anyway. So good job, good job. You shared a lot of great stories. You shared a lot of great ideas. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. It's so great to talk to you. I love doing this with VIP members. These, um, we call them teleseminars. Sometimes I call it a webinar. Same idea. Basically, where I can talk to you and hear your voices so great so wonderful so all of you who joined all of you who talked especially and also those of you who just listened thank you thank you thank you I appreciate it and by the way I did record last night's teleseminar so I will share the recording of the teleseminar oh, probably tomorrow I might need to edit it a little bit because uh, as you know, VIP members, last night I, <laughs> at the beginning I had a few technical problems. I was talking, but my mic was not working. Probably about oh, almost seven, eight minutes. I, I talked and talked and nobody could hear me. <laughs> so I'll probably cut that out from the beginning so that you don't need to <laughs> listen to that or make it start at the true beginning. So thank you. VIP members. I will do another VIP teleseminar again. And you can join the next VIP teleseminar. You can join it. All you need to do. You just need to join my VIP program. Join my VIP program at EffortlessEnglishClub.com EffortlessEnglishClub.com I just posted a a nice quote on my Gab account. Gab.ai, that's G-A-B dot A-I. My account is A-J Hogue, A-J-H-O-G-E, A-J Hogue on Gab. Here's the quote I just wrote. A man who does not learn from life grows old like an ox. His body grows, but not his wisdom. Okay, so I'll read one more time, then I'll explain it. A man who does not learn from life grows old like an ox. His body grows, but not his wisdom. An ox is basically a cow, a big cow, a big large cow. So what is this saying, this quote? This quote is saying that 
if you don't continue to learn, if you don't, it's a warning. This this quote is a warning. It's saying that if you do not continually learn, right, lifelong learning, if if you don't do that, you will grow old, but you will not grow wiser. You will be kind of foolish and stupid as you grow older, like a cow. You're just aging like an animal. Your body's getting older. Your body's growing and aging, but your mind is not growing. So this is a warning. It's a warning to... The message of this quote is that you must, must, must learn, constantly be learning, lifelong learning. This is really promoting lifelong learning. I believe, too, it's, it's a warning against aging badly. Because what happens when we age, as people get older, especially when they are old, whatever number you want to say is old. But basically what happens is, right, of course you grow, when you're young, you grow older and you get bigger and stronger and bigger and stronger. But then sometime, I don't know, in your 20s, maybe around age 30, the process starts to change and go the other direction. Certainly by around 40 or so, right, you, you reach a physical peak where your body gets... Uh, kind of the strongest, the most energetic it will ever be. And then at some point in middle age, the reverse happens. Your body does not get stronger anymore. And as you get older and older and older, it will get weaker. Of course, you do your best to exercise and eat well, and you can avoid a lot of this for a long time. But of course, you cannot avoid it forever. And eventually, at some point in old age, of course, you're going to be weaker than you were when you were 15. (laughs) At some point. (laughs) Maybe that's when you're 50. Hopefully not, though. Hopefully it's more like when you're 70 or 80 or 90. And the point is, that can be very, 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 very difficult. You can suffer a lot if you don't learn, if you don't grow wiser, if you just focus on pleasure, like physical pleasure, for example. Well, that physical pleasure will get less and less and less when you get older, eventually. So this is why we see, I mean, you probably know people, I do, I know a lot of people who, as they get older or as they got older, they grew less and less and less happy. They became more bitter. We say bitter. It means just kind of angry and unhappy and unsatisfied and kind of uh, inflexible, right? They lost their enthusiasm. They lost their curiosity. They lost their enjoyment of life lost their flexibility, right? Couldn't, couldn't be flexible, couldn't change anymore, couldn't adapt anymore. A lot of people age that way. They become kind of hard in their mind. This is what that quote is talking about, that if you don't continue learning, if you don't 
practice, lifelong learning, then this is the result. You get older and you then you have no wisdom. You get older and you grow harder and stupider and less happy and less satisfied. It's a, it's a real danger, and it happens to lots and lots and lots and lots of people. You know, right? I mean, you probably know a lot of older people who just seem to get dull, right? They're not... It seems like they're not alive anymore inside. But then there are other people who get older, but yet they still seem alive, right? Even if their bodies are weak, even if their bodies are very old, and they're... I mean, even if they have a lot of different physical problems but you can kind of look in their eyes or when you talk to them you hear their voice and with their minds that they still seem um, alive they seem uh, happier they s- and they have wisdom because they've had so many life experiences and they've learned and they've learned and they've learned and they've learned and they've continued to learn as they get older and this is the reward of aging now we focus so much on the negative side of aging because in our culture our modern culture the media culture especially TV and movies they're always oh youth 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 it's everything is just you know sex drugs and rock and roll it's all about physical pleasure right that's what everybody focuses on woohoo money and sex and and all of that and it all seems really fun when you're 25 But it's not so fun when you're 65. So, of course, if your focus is on physical pleasure and all of that kind of thing, uh, you're going to be very unhappy when you get older. Even before uh, 65, 55, 50. Sometimes people in their 40s even. Already they're growing unhappy because... uh, they don't have the same physical pleasure of youth, right? And they haven't focused on learning. And this is why in our popular culture, media culture, you know, aging is seen as bad, right? What do we do with old people? We send them away to a nursing home, send them away, get, a, get them away from us. We don't want to be around them. That's the message. Right. Or the message of the media and TV and movies is, you know, old people, they're not cool because, you know, the culture of cool, cool, cool. It's so important to be cool, which is a very shallow and foolish mindset. So that's what happens. If you don't focus on learning and gaining wisdom, wisdom is kind of learning from experience, not just from a book. Right? There's knowledge. Knowledge is kind of book learning. It can be useful. But wisdom comes from life learning. Learning by doing. Learning through experience. And that's the true learning. And wisdom is the reward of aging. At least the reward of aging well. When you don't focus on just these foolish physical pleasures, these shallow things like being cool, looking cool, 
then you gain a greater and greater and greater and greater and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper understanding, wisdom as you get older. And this is the reward of aging that we don't see in the media. We almost never see it, but that's the reward. There is a reward too. We don't see this positive side. We used to. When you read books, when you look at the old stories, you see that humans used to respect wisdom. Humans used to respect old people who had wisdom. They called them elders. They, they knew they were wise. They asked them for advice because they had so much life experience. And they saw this was the reward for aging well, for lifelong learning. The thing is, you and I and everybody, we all age. You're all getting older. Everyone's getting older. The media tries to make you forget this. The media doesn't want you 20-year-olds to realize that you too are going to get old. You will. Right? They want you to try to be a kid. They want you to pretend to be a kid, a child forever. Right? They want you to keep acting like a child longer and longer when you're 20 when you're 25 still think like a child act like a child party party fun fun when you're 30 still act like a child when you're 35 still act like a child even when you're 40 45 we've seen this in the United States middle aged people still trying to dress like teenagers acting like kids in many ways it's quite sad (laughs) it's sort of sad they're trying to hold on to this physical pleasure and these these very shallow pleasures they're gaining no wisdom these are the people who end up being quite miserable as they get older I don't want that to be you and so keep learning learning is for life it's another important message from John Taylor Gatto Lifelong learning. Super important. Super important. For your happiness. Just for your selfish, personal happiness. This is important. You've got to think longer term, right? Not not just like, woohoo, right now, I want to feel good, yay. But thinking of the greatest and deepest happiness for your whole life. It comes from wisdom. Speaking of uh, long term, during the teleseminar yesterday, I was talking to uh, Dalal. She's an English teacher. Teaches English in a school. And uh, she got me thinking, actually. She was talking about how she loves John Taylor Gatto's book and the ideas. She agrees with them. And so she wants to to introduce these ideas at her school. And, you know, kind of give a presentation to everybody and tell them, you know, this is all bullshit. (laughs) The school stuff is bullshit. (laughs) She was asking my advice, uh, kind of, and she said she's worried they will be angry. And I was laughing because, yes, 
probably they'll be angry. But she got me to thinking that about this because obviously she cares and she wants to make a change. But this is a tough battle, a very difficult battle to fight. I know because I used to work in some school systems. I worked at a couple universities, for example. And I had the same feelings as she does. And I also had to think about what do I do about this? How do I fight this battle? I think it's important for these kind of uh, situations for us to think strategically. Think strategically. What does that mean to think strategically? Basically, to think strategically means to plan. To plan long term. To think long term. One second, got a truck here making noise. When you're having a conflict, when you're having a fight, when you just have a goal in life, but especially when you have a goal that other people might fight against, we, you, I, we need to think strategically. What this means is that it's, it's very easy for us to focus just on our feelings, right? We have feelings of anger. We have feelings of frustration. We have a strong desire to make some change, right? Like I have a strong desire. I would love to change the entire world's education system. I would like to destroy the schools and replace these government schools with a huge diversity of choice with lots and lots and lots and lots of people homeschooling, home education, and also a big mix of different kinds of private schools and tutors and neighborhood schools and a huge variety, online programs. So people, every family could choose what's best for them, not this school system of force that we have now. This is my goal. That would be my big goal or my big dream or my mission. But thinking about this, of course, then I get, I get, you know, I'm quite angry and frustrated about these terrible schools and the terrible school systems. But we have to be careful about this. We have to be careful about these uh, emotions. And we have to think strategically. We've got to look at the situation and try to remove our emotion about it. Or at least um, be, you know, have that equanimity. There's our, that word again, equanimity, right? It basically means kind of calm, almost indifference. Where we can look at the situation, realize our goals, and then plan and act in a strategic way, in an intelligent, calm way so that we have the best chance of winning. I did 
when I was younger, I did not always do this. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> a few times, I like, had a few jobs I had, for example. I did not do this. I was just, you know, kind of angry and I just had these goals and I was frustrated. So I would just take actions based on my emotion. I would just act from my feelings, my feelings of anger, my feelings of frustration or whatever, or that my desire for some change. I wouldn't think about it long term. I wouldn't make a plan. I would just act. And sometimes this caused me to get in trouble, meaning I would, you know, get problems with my bosses and I would not make the changes that I wanted to make. I would not get the result I wanted. And in fact, I would end up kind of losing, really. Because I was acting in a kind of foolish way. I was telling Dalal when she was asking me this, I, I get used the phrase, pick your battles, pick your battles. This is kind of an idiom in English. Pick your battles. It means choose your battles, right? It means be careful to choose your battles. This is kind of Sun Tzu again. Right? Sun Tzu says, you should win before you fight. You win before you fight. You don't win during the fight. You win before. What's he talking about? He means you before a battle before the battle before you start a war before you start a battle you carefully create the conditions to win you make sure that you are in the strongest position so that you will win so when you fight the battle there's no worry you don't have to worry will I win or not you know, you, you're, you're already guaranteed to win because you intelligently patiently planned for victory before. That's what thinking strategically means. And so, for example, with, with this situation, I was telling her, oh, maybe you should be careful, right? Because maybe for what she wants, maybe having a meeting and just telling all of them this is all bullshit and, and being very strong and direct about it, sometimes direct attack is not the best. In fact, I would say most of the time a direct full attack from the front is usually not the best way to win. Often, maybe usually, indirect attacks are more effective. So in a situation like that, the best thing would be to think about first, what is your goal? Right? You want to win. You want to change. You have some goal. What's the end goal? What is the end goal? Sometimes we just, again, we react from our emotions. We're not even clear what we're trying to do. We're not really clear, like, how do we win? So the first you need to decide, how will you win? So let's say in her situation, what is her final result she wants? Does she want her department to change to using um, a new method of teaching, maybe TPRS? Is that her goal for victory? Is her goal for victory for them to completely get rid of grades and tests? That's an even more difficult goal. I don't know. Is her goal to completely get rid of the school system? Well, in that case, 
that's an even bigger, bigger, bigger goal. Or is her goal smaller, just to get the teachers to think differently, to be more flexible, to try different ideas? You see, you have to know what your goal is first before you decide what actions you will take. Let's say her goal is somewhere in the middle, right? Because if she was just wondered, if she just hates the school system and wants to destroy the school system, like me, <laughs> then if that's the goal, I would say this, the, the best action is just to leave. You'll never change that. You're never going to destroy the school system uh, completely by working for it, right? Being inside of it. You're never going to change that school system while you're in, from the inside. Yeah. These problems cannot be solved that way. That's why I am pushing homeschooling so aggressively and, and other forms of independent education. That's how we change. That's how we get the biggest change. So that's my strategy, because my goal is a very, very big one, which is to destroy the power of these uh, forced schooling, these forced schooling system, these forced schools, these prisons. So I recognize the way to destroy their power is through homeschooling, is to get more and more and more families and people to leave. That's how you take away their power. But that's my goal, that's my strategy, which is which is fine, but she's working a job and she's there, so maybe that's not her goal. Her goal might be something more in the middle. Maybe her goal, for example, is to get her department to change the methods of teaching, to start using TPRS and natural methods of teaching. Well, that's a, now that's a goal that would work while still working there, while still being an employee. Okay, that's good. That, that, that's an acceptable goal, for example. But again, so then you have to think, okay, if that's my goal, that's my strategy, how do I get that to happen? You have to think, right? Now I know what I'm trying to do. I have a specific goal. How do I reach that goal? And this is strategic thinking. And just like mili military thinking, you usually realize you can't do it suddenly with just one action, right? It's like, um, I don't know, think of World War II when the Germans and the uh, Soviet Union were fighting. Okay, they, the Germans could not defeat the Soviet Union in just one battle. And the Soviets also could not defeat the Germans with just one battle, right? They had many, 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 many battles. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So they had to plan ahead. They had to first, they have to take this city and then this city and then this city and then this city and then this city. And, then this city and right? It's this long series of plans and reactions. That's strategy. It's a very long-term series, series, series of actions, not just one. Well, this is also true in our own lives with these kinds of situations. So again, her situation, if her goal is to get the teachers to all start using TPRS for that to become the official method of teaching at her school. Well, she's probably not going to do it with one action. She's not going to do it with just one meeting, like have one big meeting with everybody and tell them all the school system sucks and okay, we're, you all need to use TPRS. Would that be effective? I don't think so, right? You got to think. You got to think long term. 
strategically. You have to think, okay, if I take this action, what will they do? What's their likely reaction? And then when they react, what do I do next, right? You think several steps ahead. You try to think several steps. It's just like a good chess player, right? The game of chess. If you read about the great, great masters of chess, they all say they think several moves ahead. They're not thinking of just one move, right? I will do this, and then my opponent will do this. No, they think I'll do this, then they probably will do this, and then I'll do this, and then they'll do this, and then I'll do that, and then I win. Right? They're thinking two, three, four, five, six steps ahead of everyone else. And that's why they win, one of the reasons they win. So I would say if the goal was to get everyone to change to TPRS, to, to be much less direct and to go step by step, smaller steps, don't have one big meeting and tell them they all suck, <laughs> okay? Because then they're going to react against you, but you become the enemy. They're not going to like you. Instead, I would, uh, just as an example, figure out, identify one other teacher that seems open, that seems flexible, Start to talk to them about TPRS. Of course, start doing TPRS in your own class first. Start showing, right? Demonstrate that it's effective. Start getting your students more excited, your students getting better results. And then just kind of casually, right? Indirectly, just casually talking about, oh, yeah, this, oh, I've been trying these new story, the storytelling method, and Oh, it's really working great. Uh, students are loving it and getting good results. Really great. And then don't say anything else. Just try to create the curiosity. If they don't, if they say nothing, if the other teachers say nothing, just let it go. And then maybe a few days later, another week later, yeah, maybe you mention it again. And then little by little, you just introduce the idea, and you see who might be interested. And you identify one teacher who seems interested. And then you start talking to them. Get them interested in TPRS. Start talking about the benefits. And as they get more interested, then maybe you give them the book by Blaine Ray. And maybe you help them plan a lesson. And maybe then you help encourage them to try one TPRS lesson. And after they do it, then you coach them. You talk with them about what, what was good, what problems did you have, and then together you start doing it. Now you've got an ally. Now you've got a friend in the department. Now there are two of you who are using TPRS. You get them more and more and more and more excited. Now there are two of you. What do you do next? Now two of you are talking about it. Now two of you are excited about it. You're still being very positive. Of course, what do you do next? You identify the next person who might be interested and you focus on them and see and little by little you capture the department person by person one by one until you have the majority until you have the most teachers who support you who support your method and in this way you could take over the department and achieve your victory achieve your result of TPRS becoming the official method of your department. And you, but you see, it's not direct. You don't just stand up in front of everybody and say, well, you must use this method, you idiots. <laughs> Even though you want to say it. I, I know I want to say that many times, but um, it's not the most effective way. You got to be strategic. Plan it out. A long-term campaign. 
this gives you a big advantage because most people don't think strategically. Most people don't think ahead. Most people only think about today and next week, maybe next month, and that's all. They don't think about six months ahead. They don't think about one year from now, and they don't certainly don't think about two, three, four, five years from now. So if you just develop a plan, a strategy, you know, a two-year strategy, and you start working it every week, every week, step by step, step by step, step by step, and sometimes you'll try something, it won't work, and then you have to change a little bit. Of course, you, you, you have to be flexible with your plans, but you have this overall goal, this overall strategy, and you're thinking long-term. This will help you achieve success much more in your life, in your personal life, but especially when you have to go against other people and other groups, right? With, with persuasion or maybe conflict when you're actually, you know, struggling against some other group. So as you can see, the overall way to do this is first you have to decide what's called your end game. It's called the end game. The end game. This comes from chess. The end game or your end game. End game in chess, it's, it's kind of like your final series of moves. It's how you're going to win the game. Right, so you have an end game. You have in in your mind. Ah, my last few moves are here, and then you then you go kind of go backwards, and you think, how do I get to the end game? How do I get to the end? So don't neglect this. Begin with the end in mind. It's a another nice phrase. Begin with the end in mind. It means don't just start taking actions with no goal. Right? Don't just take actions based on your emotion. Don't just take actions based on unclear thoughts or ideas. The first step, the first step is to be very, very, very clear about what do you want? What change do you want? What exact result do you want? How exactly will you win? What is winning? mean for you? What does success mean for you? You have to be very clear about it, not really general. When you have that clear idea of victory, that clear goal in your mind, then you can start to go backwards and figure out how do I get there, right? You probably are going to need many steps from now, from here and now to that goal, that victory. So you start to plan the steps and then you finally figure out what's the next step? What are the next few steps? And then you just keep going. That's how you do it. So Dalal, good luck to you and anyone else out there who has the goal of making any kind of positive changes. Think strategically. Think strategically. Okay, I'm going to go back into the coffee shop. I've enjoyed standing out here in the cool weather, chatting with you. I hope you're doing well today. Have a great day, and hey, in your life, think strategically. And as always, as always, join my VIP program. Hey, you can join me next time for the teleseminar when you join my VIP program today. You join my VIP program today at Effortless English club.com join today at effortlessenglishclub.com